Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. Please do slow down. Um, make sure to check your mirrors. <laughs> uh, slow down and take a listen. Um, we hope this will be a good show for you. And we'll begin as we always do with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, we are live today. Live and in business. In business. So uh, back from a little bit of time away, and and um, I'm in a group of guys that that were we're talking about prayer and and um, the need for humility, and going back to my years ago, kind of it came back to me something that we should all we all should know is that humility is a foundational um, aspect of of prayer and, and, um, but a proper understanding of humility is also important. And so to raise our children and, and for ourselves to be reflections of that, to be striving for that virtue, um, is essential for growth in prayer. And as we start heading into Lent, um, prayers, one of the things that we should work on increasing. And so, um, we're, going to talk about that today. Yeah, and, yeah. and we are humbled to yes. have a in-studio guest yes, this morning. Yes, that's exciting. Yeah. We have Frater Giovanni of the Norbertines of St. Michael's Abbey in Orange, California, but he's not in Orange, California. He's here in Aggieland. Nice. Because you and two of your confreres are here um, just letting the Aggie students know about your order. Yes? Yes, we are. Oh, hold on. Yes, sorry we, to do that to you, Father. No, no, that's okay. I'm I'm humble enough to be muted. Thank Th- you, Thaddeus. Thank so. you, Father. I appreciate that. <laughs> you you picked the right man. I heard that you were looking for someone humble. Yes. Um, and so I just I thought I'd volunteer and just come on by. <laughs> I appreciate that so much. Anytime, but yes, we are from Orange County, California, and we are back in the great state of Texas. I am from Sugarland, Sugarland originally, mm-hmm. and I went to the University of Texas. So I'm looking we forward won't hold to... hold that against you here. Where'd you go to high school? I, I only Where'd you go to high school? Straight Jesuit. Oh, okay. Awesome. So I only have a few more hours left in Aggieland, and then we get to go on to Austin. I <laughs> <So> had <that's, laughs> to turn it back yeah, around. That's exciting, Thaddeus. <laughs> wow. Uh, that was a low-hanging fruit. It was. But, it was. Um, well, there's two Longhorns in here then, because I graduated from Texas. All this right. Oh, don't hold it And see, we let, him have, we let him have a spot show. on our radio station every single week. And a wife at well, LSU. That's, so. <laughs> that's why the radio show is successful, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, so we, yeah, we are doing a little vocations recruiting trip in Texas because about one quarter of our men in formation, we have about 40 men in the seminary right now, which is really, really good. And about 90 men in our community. Wow. So we're really thriving. We just built a brand new monastery and we're already running out of room at our new monastery. Praise God. Mm -hmm. And we have another, I think, 14 applicants for next year. What is the average age of your community? If you had to say off the top of your head, it's right around 40 years old. That's amazingly young. Yeah. Yeah, it That's is. Good. That's the average age. Yeah. 
and we have a couple of high outliers, you know, sure. some of our, our old priests. So, right. um, but it, it even feels younger than that. Sure. So we are, um, yeah, a quarter of our vocations have been coming from Texas. So this is a very fruitful place for us to, to come and visit. Yeah, it is. It is. And we love having you here. Um, to, to move us a little bit more towards back towards our theme, could you talk to us about um, St. Norbert and him as an exemplar of prayer? Absolutely. He, St. Norbert was a great Gregorian reformer of the clergy in the 12th century. He's your, he's your founder. He's, yes, he's the founder of, of the Norbertine order. And if you don't know anything about St. Norbert, don't feel bad, neither did I, until I showed up at St. Michael's Abbey in Orange, California, and okay. then I started learning about him. So you didn't learn everything at the University of Texas? N- most things. Because, you know, <laughs> what, what happens there changes the world. <laughs> oh, <laughs> golly. Oh, wow. Uh, Low-hanging fruit Low-hanging fruit. Hey, you know, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. I'm your straight <laughs> man. I'm your straight man. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Your shut-up man. Exactly. Um, softball. Yeah. That's great. So St. Norbert was, he was a great mystic and aesthetic, ascetic. Mm-hmm. Um, he was probably pretty aesthetic as well, I He bet. was. Well, he was described as being handsome and, and comely and kind of all things to all men. Yeah. So he was, a, he was a part of the emperor's court. He was a part of the royal family. He had a castle, very wealthy, but he was living a very sinful life until he had a very powerful conversion experience where a bolt of lightning struck in front of him. Knocked him off of his horse. Literally, I forget about this. Literally knocked him off of his horse, and he went. He was paralyzed for about an hour, and this 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 stream of sulfur, burning sulfur, began rising from the earth, and he heard this voice that called him to to leave from his evil path and to to turn and do good. So he turned around, converted his life, and founded a religious order, which grew. At one point, it was the largest religious order in the church. Um, mm-hmm. In the Shortly after uh, the, the founding of the order, we just celebrated our 900th year of of our order. Last wow. year was the 900th year, founded on Christmas Eve, 1121. So that was pretty exciting. Very, very wow. auspicious. Yes. And now, so one thing about prayer that I remember from his life that really struck me is he was known for making all night vigils. And um, obviously most of us can't do that or any of us, you know, can't do that. But it described his, these vigils, these fastings as it was almost as if that was easier for him than not to do those things Mm. Mm. because prayer was his very life. Prayer was his nourishment Mm -hmm. that he, he, it's as if in starving himself, so to speak of the things of the world, he was actually fed with divine life and in spending these hours in prayer it's as if God was really the one speaking to him in his soul, nourishing his heart more than his words were rising to our Lord. So I think that's, he's a beautiful model of how prayer should be. It's not supposed to be this, this dry, sad thing that people make it out to be. It is a conversation with the triune, all loving, mm-hmm. infinite God who became man so that we would never have to walk alone in anything. So, our Holy Father, St. Norbert, is, is a really tremendous example of that humble, contrite, loving, and fervent, ceaseless prayer that, as St. Paul tells us, to pray always. Mm-hmm. And he tells us to pray always because it's possible to pray always. He wouldn't be giving us this That's command right. Right. if it weren't possible, which means, well, how could that be possible? I, I'm not even conscious or wakeful every moment of the day, let alone thinking of God's presence. But I think what St. Paul means there is that if our heart is disposed to be united with God, it, our very ordinary things of daily life can become a prayer. Driving the kids to school is a mm-hmm. prayer when it's done for the love of God. You know, doing the laundry, making dinner, going to work, and just cranking away at, at a computer sending emails, those don't seem like holy tasks, but when we unite our heart with our Lord, that becomes a prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we're, we're both products of Jesuit education and as we're, we were taught uh, to, to pray often, we dedicate, when you dedicate all your thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God, mm-hmm. you, you're praying, you're praying 
constantly or continually. That's what you're, that's what you're talking about. Exactly. And probably the most important aspect of prayer with, or what I think cultivates the humility of heart necessary for real true prayer is the Virgin Mary mm-hmm. and allowing her to be the one who directs our prayer mm-hmm. and talking about humility. Humility is really, it's, it's perfect self-knowledge. It's knowing who you are and knowing who you are not. And the Virgin Mary is, is the premier exemplar of this. She cries out in her Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord because he's looked upon the humility of his handmaid. She's, you wouldn't think that usually a humble person doesn't address the fact that they're humble, but here you have the most humble human person in the history of the universe Mm -hmm. crying out to God about her humility because she had true self-knowledge. She knew that she truly was lowly and the humble handmaid of God. And so that disposition of her heart made her irresistible to Almighty God. St. Alphonsus describes about how at the, at the Annunciation, he talks about how it's very poetic and, you know, 17th century or 18th century Italian, but he's talking about how the angel Gabriel seeing the beauty of the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit seeing her desired so intensely to be united with her that the word would become flesh, that it was as if Gabriel couldn't stop himself mm-hmm. to show up and say, hail full of grace. Mm. Wow. He couldn't stop himself. But why? Because she is truly humble of heart and humility draws God into our hearts. And she is the premier model of that. And also she's the one through whom all prayer should go. She's the mediatrix of all grace. Nothing goes to Christ except through her and nothing comes to us from Christ except through her. So all of our prayer, even if that's just making the intention before we pray, consecrating that prayer to her, that from Mm -hmm. this moment on, Jesus, I never want to say a word to you unless it passes through the lips and the heart of the Virgin Mary. Wow. And so we have we have the Blessed Virgin as an exemplar or a model of prayer, and, and I think I think it points to because because in the Magnificat she she will also go on to say that all generations will call me blessed. Yes, blessed. I mean, yeah, you're, that's yeah. that that sounds far from it could humble. It, that would come I mean, off as braggadocious, right? Almost. But but yet it's an acknowledgement of what is true, mm-hmm. and so we we've, we've got to get a clearer. A picture of the she's just humility. stating facts there. She's stating facts. It's it's reality. It's and so humility doesn't mean that we're always self-deprecating. Self-deprecating. And, we're always knocking ourselves down. It's it's coming to a realization of what is true about us. Like you said, who mm-hmm. who we are and who we are not. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's an important point to make because lots of time when people think of humility. Um, they would say would nothing would come out of somebody's mouth like all generations will right. call me blessed. So, so we have a great example. We have a have a model of humility here in the Blessed Virgin. Let's hear what the Catechism says is the definition of prayer. Right, right. Trey, you said sure. twenty five fifty nine. Prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God, or the requesting of good things from God. But when we pray, do we speak from the height of our pride and will or out of the depths of a humble and contrite heart? He who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is the foundation of prayer. Only when we humbly acknowledge that we do not know how to pray as we ought, are we ready to receive freely the gift of prayer. Man is a beggar before God. And there's, there's, you know, the, the essence of what we're talking about. We're, we are not God and yet we are live, move and have our being because of him. I mean, he, we're, we're a beggar before him. And so oftentimes I forget, I know when I, when I pray, but it should always start with asking the Holy Spirit to help Mm -hmm. because we don't know how to pray as we we ought. St. Paul says as much. And so I think that that's always the beginning. I think later in that same chapter, it talks it talks about 
that that the beginning of prayer always begins with with requesting forgiveness as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're in need of a savior every mm-hmm. time, and and so that's again a recognition of um, where we stand before God. But that in His mercy, He loves us. He desires to be with. Us. He, he desires to transform us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and seeing just in that definition of prayer, you see the Magnificat again, which that's just striking me right now of that begging before God, Our Lady says in her Magnificat that God has humbled the proud or the proud he has sent away empty, right. but the poor he has filled with good things. That is, he, has, he fills those who come to him in poverty of spirit right. to the overflowing. He gives the grace of the Holy Spirit in abundance in a measure that we would never ask for ourselves. We do not desire to receive from God as much as God wants to desire to give us. And that, wow. that overflowing, that was in the gospel reading from just this last Sunday mm-hmm. where Christ uh, promised that there would be a, a measure poured out, um, shaken down, packed, right? right? Full. Packed full. Yeah. yeah. So that's an interest. That's a, that's a wonderful uh, coincidence. So part, so part of humility, this just struck me, you know, part of, part of humility would be frequent, Confession, correct? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I, I go to confession every week and I still hate going to confession. It's, <laughs> it, it is all because I'm a proud man. And right. so that's it. But every time, and it's, it's, there's great fear in going to confession, even if yes. it becomes ordinary and you're used to it, there's still a fear there. And I think that's just, that's the accuser speaking. That's mm-hmm. not the voice of the gentle, loving Savior. That's the mm-hmm. accuser who says, you shouldn't come before God. Right. You shouldn't, you don't deserve mercy. I mean, it's, it's true, but it's not true. Right. If that were true, then God wouldn't have become man. He wouldn't have purchased us mm-hmm. at the price of his very life. Absolutely. So when we come to confession and I, I would encourage people to, to make that a very regular thing, put it on the schedule. If that's once a month or every two weeks, whatever it is to put it on the schedule, especially fathers bringing your family to confession that's right. a, the, one of the best ways to unite your family. If everyone's in a state of grace, then you can actually receive those gifts that God wants to bestow on your family. Is it true in your experience that the more frequent confession happens, the more you see your sinfulness, the more you see your, your faults, the more you, you have that humble self-knowledge of, I know who I am, the creature, and I know what I'm not, the creator? Absolutely. And, but it doesn't, it's not a scrupulosity that I'm looking for all of the ways in which I've, you know, the little things that are making God angry with me. That's not, that's not what frequent confession does. It does exactly what you're describing. It disposes our heart to never want to hurt Jesus. And the more in love we become with him, the more we're able to see how all of these parts of our lives that pull away from him, how those actually hurt us, not just him. Mm -hmm. That union with him is the only real happiness, the only real freedom. So any obstacle Mm -hmm. to that union. I was talking with my children about this just last night. We were praying night prayer. And after we finished, I, I asked them, you know, why do you think that we can be in mass when we pray the confetti or, and we can say my grief, my most mm-hmm. grievous fault, even though at that moment in time, we might only have, you know, we might only have venial sins on our, on our soul. Why would we, why would the church still want us to say my most grievous fault? And we kind of, we kind of talked about just what you were, what you were saying and how we do that at the beginning of mass to, to dispose us to participate in mm-hmm. the greatest, highest prayer of the, of the church. And I like that you said venial sin, not small sin, because there's no such thing as a small sin. Right. right. One quote unquote small venial sin would be enough for God to become man to save us. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that any, any, it's our venial sins too that put Christ on the cross. Right. There's no smallness there. Any, this is why purgatory exists, because to see the face of God, we have to be ready to see the face of God. Mm-hmm. There can be nothing between us. Right. 
because God is perfect goodness, perfect truth, perfect beauty. And he's, he's, he's too beautiful for us to see right. until we've been purified. Right. His beauty is too good. He does that out of mercy. He would kill us. We wouldn't be able to receive him to see him if our heart was not ready. Right. No one has seen the face of God and lived. Right. right. And th- there was something that struck me as you were speaking, that, uh, but this idea of the reality of God's love and mercy mm-hmm. for us. I mean, he, he is uh, the, the, the picture that comes out and this has come up multiple times in the last couple of weeks is the prodigal son. Mm. And, and I did a Bible study one time with a group of people and they're talking about how the church often says it's really about the prodigal father, the, the extravagant father, the, mm-hmm. the, the extravagant love that he has. But it all begins with with God freely giving or with father, the father giving to the son, the son running off. And then there's a scene when he's kind of everything's gone and he's he's at the lowest of lows. And I don't know the exact line, but basically he he comes to himself. He Mm-hmm. realizes who he is and then he also realizes he, he remembers I'm a son of the father right and but he does but but like us I think when he goes back he's like just make me a slave right I, I, and and I love that you know the father runs to him sees him that it he's looking for him just he's, asking he's him to turn around waiting for him yeah. and he doesn't wait like I think most fathers might wait, you know, yeah. like I get over here and grovel a little bit and then we'll do it. He runs at him. And as he begins to, as, as the son begins to say, you know, I've sinned against you and against God. I, I, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me a servant. And the entire, the, it's like the father doesn't even hear him because the minute, the first thing he says, the first thing he says is, you know, Go kill the fattened calf, get his ring, bring his robe, get his sh- get his sandals, and it's you're back. And I think that's hard for us from a mm-hmm. human perspective, but we have to teach our kids. Hopefully, we as fathers are at least sometimes um, a sign of that to our yeah. children. However, way beyond that is the love that God has for us. It's so wanting just to turn around. That I th- you, I think you highlighted one of the most magnificent parts of that story, which is not what the father says to the son, but what the father does not say to the son. He doesn't even mention his sins. Absolutely. It's, it's like, what sins? You're here. Right. You've returned. You were dead. Now you were dead. Now you're alive. So let's rejoice. You, 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 in the symbolism of getting the robe and, and the ring, that's symbolic of a king. Right. He's, he's crowning us with, with kingdom when we come to him. And he doesn't say, why did you do this? Why did you, how, you know, how could you? And all, no, no. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think that that kind of points to something you brought out earlier. You were talking about that we don't even know how to ask or know to open ourselves completely to what God, what God the Father wants to give us, mm-hmm. that, he's, that, that we're we limit ourselves because we tend, and maybe it's even, maybe that is a little prideful. You know, like I've, I've done so much that mm-hmm. you can't even help me. You can't restore me. Right. Even though that's exactly what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And he does that in the confessional, if, if, if we make a good confession, right? He does. Every time, every time we come to him for mercy, we receive mercy. And that, and, and I think that's also the lie that the, the, the accuser, the, the accuser yeah. always is saying, well, you're not good enough or mm-hmm. he'll never take you back or, you know, you'll have to do this. And I think that we tend to maybe run from, I mean, I know I have mm-hmm. run Absolutely. from the confessional because, because what we're saying, well, I got to get this straight first. You know, I got to, I got to, right. I got to, you know, be like him going, I got to, I got to go make all this money back so that I can show up. Right. There's a great, I've heard a great analogy of this this person was talking about how growing up they would have a maid come and clean the house every Thursday or whatever it was and that Wednesday night the mom would be on top of everybody in the house making sure the house was getting ready to be cleaned the next day and so the person was just drawing kind of the irony of that it's like well aren't we isn't this person supposed to help us clean the house like, you know, every, right. well, my wife but, does the same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there you go. But I think we, we have that same approach to the mercy of God that right. in order for Jesus to come into this house and clean it, I have to get everything in order. I right. have to get everything right first. No, no, we don't. He wants us just as we are. 
all that is disordered, all that's dysfunctional, yes, all that is dirty. That's what he wants. His final word on the cross, Sitzio, I thirst. And then they gave him vinegar. What is vinegar? Vinegar is spoiled wine. That's symbolic of the sinners whom he came to save. We were wine and now we're vinegar. And now we've been transformed into something far greater, the very blood of Christ. I thirst, but but for whom does he thirst? For sinners. Mm. He doesn't thirst for the righteous. He thirsts for the sinner. We had a guy on the show uh, not too long ago that 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 everything that good everything good about us that we have is from God. The only thing that we, uh, I'm not sure this is oh, the, the Adam Brill was talking about this. Yeah, yeah. That the, the, the only thing that we can give that's actually ours. Is, is our sinfulness. Our, that's, that's the only thing we can really claim right. as our own. Right. And so here, here and, it and is. And that's what he wants. Right. That's what he wants. Which is part of humility. You're recognizing in yeah. yourself to, to be humble, to be united with God is to just open yourself there. One of my other favorite quotes is uh, St. Therese of Lisieux talks about, I mean, I can't imagine what her sins <laughs> were like, but, but, but she talks about running, running when you sin to run, to God the Father and ask all him all the more confidently, all the more confidently, and run to him and ask him to punish you with a kiss. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 there's, and I think that's the people stay away from confession. They stay away mm-hmm. from until I get this fixed, until I do whatever. And part of humility is saying, I, I'm always going to have these things. It's not not that I shouldn't, with God the help of God's grace, work towards ridding myself of those things and allow God's grace to have its impact, but we're probably never going to get to the point Well, we're not going to get to the point this side of the veil um, that we're okay. Now, now, <laughs> now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is, this is a great theme in, in St. Faustina's, her diary of divine mercy that our Lord speaks often and frequently about how, what pains his heart most, the sins that hurt him most are those when we don't show confidence in his love. That's what hurts him the most, that right. we don't trust in his merciful love. And I think part of why we, we live in a very messed up world, a very broken culture, most of which frankly comes back to the breakdown of, of the family and mm-hmm. a lack of fatherhood and true motherhood. And I think so many people have difficulty coming to the mercy of God because they haven't been able to receive mercy on a human level. Right. That there's some father wound or mother wound, or there's, there's something that some hurt on a human level that, I mean, it's no coincidence that we call fathers fathers. They're an image of the heavenly mm-hmm. father right. that they're supposed to bear the image of the father for their children, you know? So it, if that father is not imparting pure mercy and goodness and love, not to say there's not admonition and correction, but if there's fear there, when a child does something wrong, that same fear will be there when that child goes to the confessional. Absolutely. Or the father's absent completely. Yeah. Why, yeah. why would I go to the father? Yeah. Because I don't, the, the association there is father, that, that hurts. Something about father hurts. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, and I think that that's it's part of, this is, we've done this show as the mystery of parenthood, kind of tying into the fact that we as parents are meant to be strive to be as, mm-hmm. as close as we can to providing some sort of image, mm-hmm. some, some sort of tra- of the traits that, that God has for us, and we, which means we have to learn. That's why theology and understanding how God acts and the way he is, is so important to forming mm-hmm. how we parent. I mean, the way we do it now, we're going to fail. Mm-hmm. And, but frequently I've told him, okay, that was Trey Cash and the dad, <laughs> that was acting that way or responded in that manner, that was not an accurate reflection of mm-hmm. the love that God has for you. And That's therefore I've, I've failed you because I haven't done that. That's I haven't beautiful. done it. But, but, but I think that's the way that we need to look at mm-hmm. our, our parenthood. I, I, and I think I told the kids asked the other day, we were asking questions about, about actually I was talking with Kingsley regarding the um, the prodigal son, we were just talking about it because it had come up in a talk we were at. And, and, and all, all Trey's kids are grown now, by the way. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. They're, the youngest are 20. They'll be 21 in, in May. But um, 
but I was talking with her, taking her back to Austin. She's at school over there too. And um, oh, sorry, right, it's I got wonderful. three. I got I three mean, of them there. But she's, but, she's going to change the world. But I she, no doubt either. But she, but but I was. She was asking me about it. She's like, I, I, I would find myself more like the other son hmm. you know, that sits outside. And says, I'm not. I've done everything you've ever asked, yeah. and and yet you've never given me a even a goat to to ha- share with my family. And, and, and I was saying, he, she said, do you have that? I said, well, I, th- I think so. But the longer I've parented, the more I realize that the absence of somebody, no matter what they've done is more hurtful. And the fact mm-hmm. that they don't trust to come yeah. back to me actually pains me more. Exactly. And, and so you, and the, that's part of the mystery too. We've said that in, if you, if you really attempt to try to parent that God will reveal at least glimpses of things that you couldn't have known. Mm. Well, at least I couldn't have known other than the experience of parenting. Cause I can remember times when kids wouldn't tell me something, whether I knew it or not. I had an instance where I knew I'd, I'd caught him and he didn't know I'd caught him. <laughs> and I was more hurt, not by what he had done. Mm-hmm. I was more hurt by the fact that he would deny it and not just, say, I'm sorry, yeah. and that there was that divider there. And to communicate that to our children is important. You know, that, that break of relationship is way worse mm-hmm. than whatever you might have done to it, break it. And that's exactly what St. Faustine, what our Lord is describing. Right. The, the pain that hurts him most is that we're afraid to run to him. Right. And, and, and be rebuked with a kiss. Right, and and the and and I have another one where Kennedy had had we said you can go anywhere. He was kind of like the garden, you know. You can go anywhere in this neighborhood, but you can't go outside the gate. And he had done it, had gotten away with it, had no idea that it had happened. And I also caught a glimpse of of the mercy. He came in, and before he could say he he knew he. I mean, I don't know if he knew he'd gotten away from away with it, but I had no idea that it happened. Not even sure I could have ever would have ever found out. But he came, and before he could get it out, he started crying mm. at ten, eleven years old. And it was I don't even need to hear what you're saying because it, you're because it, it doesn't you're, matter. It doesn't matter because you. <laughs> You're already contrite. You're yeah. already into, and I just remember that sense. And again, that's a revelation in trying to parent children that God gives of Himself, just glimpses that mm-hmm. I think are really important for us in our own conversions as parents mm-hmm. to actually experience that. Because you can look at it on a, on a piece of paper and say, "Well, I would do this, this, and this," but when a when a child comes back and begins weeping, being sorry for something that. I might not have ever even known he had done that automatic you're forgiven, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and, and it's almost like there's a deeper bond after we experience mercy. Yes. And that's true of our relationship with God too, that we say, Oh, happy fault of Adam. Right. Oh, happy fault, which brought frankly sin and destruction upon the world. But so why could that be a happy fault? Because it merited for us such a great savior. Mm-hmm. And we're, we've been raised to a dignity of union with God that was otherwise not possible had we not sinned. Right. Which is, it's a, and, and you experience that in a human level too, of when you've, when someone has hurt you or you've hurt someone and there's a real breakdown uh, in heart to heart and sorry and being reconciled, there's, there's a closeness there right. after that, that, that never would have been possible. Right. And it's, and it's the, it is when you, when you kind of look at it, when I'm thinking back on those two circumstances, it's the break. Cause if nothing's ever said, if, mm-hmm. if, I mean, Trevor could have denied that he'd, even though I knew him, he could have denied it and denied it and denied it. And there would always have been that there or, or my son who didn't, if he had gotten away with it, but knew he had done something he shouldn't have done and never said anything. It's always the coming back. Mm-hmm. It's always the humility to say, I'm, I'm going to run back to you and know that I'm going to receive love and mercy. And something really, just listening to that, something really interesting that struck me is how often, at least I would do this growing up. If I didn't want to go to dad, 
because I was kind of, yes, you know, absolutely. afraid or it's like, you know, this, he's going to get angry. I would go to mom. Right. And then I would have mom mediate that for me. Like, well, and she would often say something along these lines. So do you want to tell your father or should I? And right. obviously that must be a rhetorical question because <laughs> that's not, I'm not going to, that's why I came to you, mom. Right. And that that's a, it's a perfect. I thought we already had this clear. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, we've done this before, right? You know, <laughs> you know what the answer is. <laughs> And, and there's a there's a beautiful reflection there too of Our Lady's place yes in ministering the mercy of God yeah. that Saint Alphonsus also says he has this beautiful uh, kind of prayer where he reminds Our Lady to the same thing of what we were just talking about he reminds her that he says Mary you're the mother of God because of my sins so it's like there's there's an unbreakable connection there of you have God as your son to save sinners. And I am the foremost, foremost of those sinners. Right. So you're the mother of God because of my badness. Yeah. And it's like, that's so beautiful. And it's so contrary to the way I think this world looks at, mm-hmm. at, at those things. It's, that's why I think it's so hard to believe. Like you said, even in families, we can not accurately reflect the way that it doesn't mean you don't correct. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. you don't say, Hey, this, cause like I told I said, I, I you're t- totally forgiven, but we need to make sure that that you don't do that again. Cause that's, and again, I think it's also important as a parent, we've talked about it, that you tell your kids and that you are really mean that everything that I do is actually to make you a better person. Mm-hmm. Everything that any, any, thing that I ask you to do, I'm, I'm attempting to try to, it's for your benefit. It's not, it's not for my benefit. Mm-hmm. It's, and I think that's the way God does too. He, he, he's constantly convicting us and saying, I'm going to provide you the grace. You just need to run back. God can only do what is good for us. Right. God cannot do evil. He cannot do hurt. Even scripture says he heals as he wounds. Right. When God has a piercing word for us, an admonition, it's always one. And this is how you can sort of discern the voice. Right. Is this the Holy Spirit or is this the accuser that's, that's speaking? Well, does the voice heal as he wounds? Does he pierce you in that part of your heart, but in a way that renews you or brings a, a wholeness and a healing that wasn't there before? If so, that's, that's probably the voice of God. Right. It's probably the mercy of God right there. So even in those those sharp moments, there's love, right? You know. Well, and that is what love. I mean, love does, because truth is part of love. Yeah, right? truth is love. Therefore, sometimes truth. It's the acknowledgement yeah. of the good and the bad, right? You know. Yeah, uh, we have about a little less than fifteen minutes. And I unbelievable. This occurred to me in the course of y'all this great discussion the two of you are having. It seems to me that you know petitionary prayer is probably the most natural mm-hmm. form, natural human mode of prayer. And, it, and it's probably the form of prayer that, that happens amongst people who maybe are not churched or they have very little um, religious you know, experience. How can we, how can we, um, and that's probably the first form of prayer maybe that, that might come naturally in their mm-hmm. own words to our, to our children, you know, after, after they've learned their, you know, they're taught their vocal prayers. So I, I guess what I'm getting at is how can we use that, that impetus for petitionary prayer mm-hmm. on the human heart to teach humility or as a starting point for humility, if we know that humility is the foundation of, of prayer? I, I think that's a fantastic question. And we look at Jesus as the premier example of that in the, in the, in the garden, being in agony, he prayed all the more fervently. That we often see the crosses and the the things, the lackings in our life as punishments from God. Mm-hmm. So we have so much to petition for, this impetus. Mm-hmm. But what we're not seeing is that if we didn't have these needs, we wouldn't be talking to God right now. Mm-hmm. That he's drawing us to himself. Right. Because if we don't lack something or realize that we lack something, right. then we're not going to come to him. So even in our needs, I think it's, it's important to see that 
we should rejoice in the fact that God has given me something to pray about. He's given me something to ask for. And that by that desire to have something fulfilled, he has brought me to himself. Mm. So even these sufferings, even these crosses really are a true blessing. Well, that's the prodigal son. It just occurred to me. I mean, he needs to eat. He, yeah, he needs yeah. to survive. No, it's true. And so he says, all right, I'm going like, to go I've home. I've got nothing left. I, I squandered it all. There was home. a practical consideration. Yeah. Where they began it. That's yeah, what, and then, exactly. And, and then he even comes and, and asks for, all I want is to be able to eat a square meal. I'll do whatever else. Mm-hmm. And and he ignores that. Yeah. I mean, he didn't even, and that's, the, that, that is, a, that is something that I think it's, it's hard for us to understand how deeply God loves us because we not really, we may experience glimpses of it in, in our day-to-day lives through other people. But I do think it's very hard to, to do it. And, and I think the, the accuser not only is accusing us, but he's always, he's also saying he doesn't, you're not worthy of him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not ever going to take you back, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that lie that we have to constantly remind ourselves, not of who we are, recognize who we are, but go back to him fully open. In other words, holding nothing back. I mean, literally just here I am. <laughs> here, here I am, Lord. And, and what it says in Revelation that the, the accuser of our brothers has been cast out, who night and day accuse them before God, that we know who wins the victory. We know who conquers. Jesus Christ the Virgin Mary, the love of God, the mercy of God conquer. The Immaculate Heart will triumph right. and already has triumphed. And yep. there she reigns in glory. We are on the winning team here. We are on the side of, of truth. And I think what, what you just said there of the, the here I am, Lord, when you look at scripture, the again, God's showing us these models of prayer, these great prophets. You see a common trend of the great prophets when they stand before God or but when they make a, a petitionary prayer, an intercessory prayer, almost always they begin with something like, here I am, Lord, mm-hmm. which is very mysterious. It's something to pray about and, and meditate on. It's like, why do they do that? Because they're showing they're humbled, right. but they're aware that God loves them. It's, it's like, Lord, I stand before, as St. Therese said, she said, one day I will stand before the throne of God with empty hands. Yep. And that was her great, con- that was her consolation. I will stand before God with nothing, mm-hmm. but I will do that with absolute confidence yep. because I know the father loves me. So to be able to say in our own prayer, even before we ask God for anything, just to say, here I am, Lord, here I am. Right. I, I mean, I know, I mean, I'm 56, you know. Seven, sorry, <laughs> just turned fifty-seven. But I still have those moments, and I and I'm grateful when things are not grateful. But I get there when I realize that that, that the things that are bothering me, the things that are that I'm praying about, the things that I'm concerned about, you know, Lord, help this to happen or whatever. Ultimately, I've come to the recognition that my best prayer throughout the entirety of my life has always been in the midst of crosses in the midst Mm. of things that I didn't know, particularly things that I didn't know how to fix, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know how to handle. And that, and that sense of just turning something over and saying, it's not, I mean, I've been praying a surrender prayer forever. You know, you know, I, I, um, I I said it this morning, you know, Lord, I, I, um, surrender myself to you, take care of everything. Mm -hmm. And that sense of, there's a, there's a piece that comes with that, even though I know I've got to go, you show me what I need to do, but you take care of it. You line it up. You, you, you open the door. You tell me when I need to do X or Y and that sense that he's directing my life. When I try to control it, right. When I'm, I've got this, Mm -hmm. that's when the stress levels skyrocket. Well, there's a, there's a real vulnerability that's required when you go, before God and try to surrender right. or abandon yourself to him. And I find it's the only thing that works, honestly, oh, because, for, because, absolutely. because I can go through all the different things. And, and I, I mean, it, 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 it's a pretty standard occurrence for me to like, okay, I've got all this stuff. I don't know how any of this is going to work. 
okay, and I start making a plan, and I kind of exclude him <laughs> until I start, as I make the plan, realizing there's a lot of stuff that I have no control over. Mm-hmm. In reality, I don't, and then it, it always brings me back to, I mean, I'm at a loss. I mean, And that's, that's real surrender, right, is giving up control. Which is really the, hard. About the hardest thing that we can do. I mean, I, I, I mean, it is the hard. I don't know about you, Thaddeus. You, you're good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Okay. Thanks. Oh, was, that was that was a question. Oh. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel this. Um, I think my my wife and I feel that uh, surrendering very intently in the gestation and the upcoming birth of our oh, sixth yeah. child. Congratulations! Yeah, by that's the way. awesome. Thank you. Um, but. Yeah. We, we weren't. Um, and you already love the child. Yeah. That you haven't even seen yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. Right. He, and he loved you. Those are the things we need to keep putting in front of ourselves to, yeah. to grow is, is, is a recognition of who, how God has revealed himself in the person of Christ. I mean, you look at a cross and know he would have done that if it was just me. He would have mm-hmm. done that for for that but but even the parables and the things that he said like the prodigal son for me right now is is something that i have to I, I i'm going back over and over again to just see that's an extravagant love i mean it's it's a you know it, they would probably say an irresponsible love mm-hmm. you know because it's just we don't have words for it, it yeah. there's no there's no way to even begin to f- say okay if it was me in that situation Thank God I'm not, thank God I'm not God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it kind of returns back to that idea of what humility is of a recognition of all that we're not, but also a recognition of who we are, Right. which is we are sons of God. And St. John says, it's not yet been revealed what you shall be. He says, you're children of God, but it hasn't been revealed yet what you will be because you will see him as he is right. and you will be like him. Yeah. that that's... So he's like, I don't even know what that means, but it's, he's saying, he's hinting it. There's a, there's a level of union with God that's above this adoptive sonship. As St. Athanasius the Great said, God became man so that man might become God. And that's in the Psalms too. Jesus even quotes that to the Pharisees. He right. says, did I not tell you that you are gods? Because he was rebuking the Pharisees in that story for not being bold enough in what they were asking of God. It's like, right. Don't be pusillanimous in your prayer. Expect great things because our Father is great. Our Lord is great. And right. in, in the Gospels, the only prohibition that Jesus has, the only thing that prevents him from working great miracles is a lack of faith. How many times has he said, it's your faith has saved you. Your faith, your faith, your faith. It's always the faith that just it wounds the heart of God when he sees us come to him with confidence. It is a confidence that, that is, seems to be central. Everything that I've ever read has talked about that confidence in who, in who God is. I, I, you, as you were saying that doing great things, I, I, at the last supper, I mean, Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than greater and greater works than these will he do because I go to the father. Yeah. That 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 for years is stuck. I have an old Bible. Well, that's, that that's just so the reader knows we're right where that's or the listener knows right where that's coming from. That's the the Last Supper discourse, John right. fourteen through uh, seventeen, 17 right? and where that has the prayer to the Father to Jesus speaking in John seventeen, his prayer, right. which is also amazing because Saint John opened the veil for us a little bit of this is how Jesus prays. Right, John seventeen, the whole chapter is Jesus speaking to the Father. So if you want to know, like, well, what would Jesus say to the Father? I'll go do that. We so, have it. It's, it's, yeah. but that, so any, sorry, that's a tangent, but that part of St. John's gospel is so amazing. Well, I, I, every time I hear greater things, that I always am drawn back to that verse because it has struck me forever. Not, not only will you do what I do, How, greater it's, things. It's like that it doesn't is. seem possible. It doesn't. And I, and I think one of the things I struggled with, and it gets back to maybe the part, the beginning where you were talking about that every small thing, I think maybe God looks at things a little differently than I think, we do. I, I think, fortunately. <laughs> in terms of, in terms of greater things. Because when I thought greater things, you know, I'm gonna walk on water, you mm-hmm. know, I'm gonna do but but instead I think it's for the love of God to 
correct your children, for the love of God to pay your bills, mm-hmm. to go to work, to do the things that are just every day united with God, mm-hmm. offered to him in and through the perfect sacrifice of his son becomes great things. He makes them into great things. Exactly. And this is this is the beauty of of part of the beauty of the incarnation that God became man to share in every part of our life. It's as if every ordinary thing, the moment that Jesus Christ did it in his human flesh, he sanctified that thing. Mm-hmm. Just as when Adam was toiling in the garden before, there was a holiness to the work before sin. Right. And it's when God became man and he worked as a carpenter, right? Mm-hmm. And the carpenter's son as a workman, he sanctified the act of working. Mm-hmm. When he was baptized, he changed the power of water right. so that it could free us from our sins. He took suffering on himself. He, be- he who knew no sin became sin. Mm-hmm. He was covered with our sin so that we might be free. But he gave a meaning to suffering that never existed before. He made it salvific. He gave it a power to save souls, even in ordinary parts of our life. Amen. It has power now because Jesus Christ. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, the, the most ordinary of things is capable, united with what Christ has accomplished on the cross of being a great thing. And it's a prayer. And it's a prayer. So that's the way we pray always, that in humility we say we can do nothing but what's before us, and so we'll do it from there anyway, as, as uh, usually is the case. Time flies. <laughs> We're out of time. Well, That's Father so, Giovanni so of grateful. the Norbert teams of St. Michael's thank Abbey, thank you so, so much. So grateful for thank, you. Thank you both. Yeah, thank for you your contributions. Both. Man. Yeah, that was We're gonna, awesome. We're going to find a way to have you back. Yeah, I need to get you back. Well, thank you. All right. Trey, do you have a, did you have a memory verse for us or a parting thought? About no, parting seconds. thought is just, listen, go into, go, in, go into Lent knowing that God loves you and communicate with your children and make this the Lent of Lent's for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, open yourself up and just trust in his mercy and his love. Um, he loves you. So always remember, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. Always will. God bless. Bye.